Sometimes if we don't move on our own, God has to make it uncomfortable so we move. Sometimes if you don't want to do what God wants you to do, He'll push you out of your area of comfort and push you to obedience. Welcome to the Bible teaching of Pastor Mark Joe on Moody Presents. I'm John Geiger asking, is it really possible to live with a faith that's continually on fire for Christ? Well, Pastor Mark says yes. He's the president of Moody Bible Institute and founding pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. We're heading for Acts chapter 13 in this opening message. Here's Pastor Mark Job on Moody Presents. Acts chapter 13. Today I want to talk to you about keeping your faith red hot. Keeping your faith red hot. If you've been a believer for a while, more than likely you've gone through times where your faith was extremely hot, what we call on fire. Where you wanted to pray, where you wanted to worship, where no one could keep you from witnessing and sharing your story with anybody who was around because your faith was red hot. If you've been a believer for a while, you also know that it's very easy for that red-hot faith to kind of cool off and get a little bit lukewarm. And you may have gone through seasons as well where you thought, what happened? I mean, last year I was really red-hot in my faith, and now I'm really struggling, can't get into the Word, can barely pray, don't want to go to church, and you find yourself maybe at the other extreme because what happens is that your faith... When we come to Christ in the beginning, we may feel like we're always going to keep our faith red hot. But you discover in time that in order to keep your faith red hot, you have to work at it. Hello, how many of you know that what I'm talking about? It's like anything good in life as well. It's like marriage. Marriage needs to be cultivated for that love to remain red hot as well. And if you neglect something and let it deteriorate and don't feed it and don't cultivate it and don't encourage it, then it can start to wane and go down in its temperature. The Bible tells us that we are to remain fervent in spirit. Let me tell you this, it is God's will For you to live your life in a way where your spirit is red hot, where your heart is boiling hot for God. That is God's will for you to live that way. And I believe that it's possible to live continually fervent for God in our life. But I also believe that there are certain habits that keep our our faith hot. And certain habits that if we don't put them into practice, our faith can start getting cold and lukewarm. The Bible tells us, for example, and you don't have to turn there in your Bible. We're not going to, I'm just going to read this to you. Hopefully you found Acts chapter 13. I'm reminded, though, of two churches in the book of Revelation. One is the church of Laodicea, where Jesus tells that church, through the Apostle Paul, that they're neither hot nor cold, they've just become lukewarm. And so he says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth because you're not either hot nor cold. And he also tells the church in Ephesus, he says, I hold this against you, 
You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now he's speaking to a church, the church of Ephesus. And if you read the story of the church of Ephesus, you'll see this fascinating story about a town where the Apostle Paul comes and preaches the gospel and so many people come to Christ, people that are practicing witchcraft and sorcery and so many witches and sorcerers come to Christ that they take all of their manuals and sorcery and they are so convicted that they bring it out into the street and they make a big pile and they have a bonfire burning all of these things that was a part of their formal life and, and hundreds of people come to Christ and there's miracles that happen and this church is on fire. And then several decades later, Paul has to write to them and say, remember how you started so on fire, willing to give up anything, strong testimony, but now I have this against you, you've abandoned your first love. You, the love that you had in the beginning is no longer there, is what the Apostle Paul, uh, is what John tells the church of Revelation. And then he says, I want you to do a couple of things. I want you to remember where you've fallen from. I want you to turn around or repent and do what you used to do in the beginning. And he says, if you do not repent, I will remove the lampstand from this, this place. I believe that several of the churches that were started did not keep their fire in first love. I've been to Ephesus. Ephesus right now is in the land of Turkey. The seven churches of Revelation are in Turkey. If you go to Turkey right now, there are very, very few Christian churches because it's a Muslim nation. These churches somewhere down the road lost their fire, lost their influence, lost what God had called them to. And I believe that any movement that is going to make a difference needs to maintain at its core a white-hot faith or a red-hot faith. I want to read to you uh, just, I was recently reading a book called Movements That Changed the World by Steve Addison, who's a theologian and a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he studied movements down through history that had an impact on the world, that made a difference, that influenced thousands of people. And as he studied these movements, he discovered that there were five characteristics in common that all these movements shared. Number one, they had a white-hot faith. In other words, their level of fervency was much higher than the culture in which they lived. They lived radical for the culture in which they were. Number two, they had a commitment to a cause. These movements Everybody in the movement knew there was a commitment, a cause they were giving themselves to that was bigger than themselves, a strong cause, a cause that moves their heart, a cause that mobilized their emotions, a cause that they could buy into. Number three, they had contagious relationships. In other words, they weren't people that isolated themselves away. They 
They influenced the culture in which they lived. They had contact with the people around them. They moved in their neighborhoods and in their communities. They, they were contagious in the faith that they had. Number four, rapid mobilization. They weren't just people that listened to a message. They were people that mobilized to do something and they moved rapidly to do something. They organized themselves rapidly to, to mo move into their cause. And number five, they had adaptable methods. In other words, they understood the culture in which they lived and they changed, they adapted to the culture in which they lived. We are a church, but we have a movement vision. Are you tracking with me? You see, some people, I believe that the real church, the true church, if we are going to follow the ways of Jesus Christ, that every church should feel like a movement. We've gotten used to the idea of a church being a building and people come to that building and have a worship service in that building and then just go home and live their lives. But I don't believe that that's really the call of God upon our lives. I believe that we are called to be a movement. A movement means that we operate in and out of the church. A movement means that the way it should look is this. Let me repaint the church for you. Many people have grown up with the tradition that once, twice a month, they go to a place called a church that has a steeple on it. They hear a message about God and some spirituality, and then they pray, and then they go back home feeling a little bit better about who they are or a little bit more enlightened about their spirituality, but continue on their lives pretty much the same as before they went to church. And we say, well, we went to church. Let me erase that image for you. That's a traditional, old, stereotype, non-biblical image of the church. Let me show you from a biblical standpoint what the church is. From God's perspective, the church has nothing to do with that. From God's perspective, we, the people, you and I, we are the church. The Bible says we are the ecclesia, the called out ones. We are the church. And so the church gathers weekly in a place like this to be re-empowered, encouraged, celebrate together, and then we go out of this place and we are the church in our workplace, in our school, in our jobs. We carry the holy virus of Jesus wherever we go. We bring the light of Jesus Christ, the change of God to whoever we go. But we, the church, gather together in this building, but this is not church. This is where the church gathers to refuel, to empower, to worship, to hear the teaching, to celebrate what God is doing. And then we go out in the streets and we fulfill the mission of God. Pastor Mark Job on Moody Presents. You'll notice his heavy emphasis on the church. And I invite you to visit moodypublishers.com. Type the word church into the search box, and you'll find all kinds of practical resources to help you strengthen that relationship. Again, moodypublishers.com. Let's pick up our message now with a reminder that church is not a place. It's you and me making disciples. Here's Pastor Mark Job on Moody Presents. You understand how that's different? It's a movement. We are on movement, and we reproduce disciples. We start congregations. We go to the nations. Jesus Christ said, 
as he commanded his disciples, he told us that, go ye therefore and make disciples of whom? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So the church, I want you to start rethinking the church. I don't want you to think of the church as a place you go and set for an hour and a half. You say, Pastor, hour, 45 minutes. Okay. <laughs> Who's counting right now, right? I don't have another service after this, so I'm relaxed. I got time. You got time? All right, because I got time too. Um, so I don't want you to think of a church as a service that you go to for an hour and 45 minutes and get a little spirituality. I want you to think as a church, as a gathering of God's people, but the church is the people. On Monday morning, we have church. You say, we do? What time? No, 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 no. We don't have a service. We have church, though. Well, 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 where is it? It's all over the place. It's downtown in an apartment in a high-rise when a woman is inputting data in a computer and praying for her office. That's the church. It's in the local high school at Kelly High School as a teacher who knows Jesus is silently praying for her students. It's in the factory when some factory worker is there bringing the presence of Jesus into that place. It's in a small business as a business owner opens and prays and dedicates his business to God because we are the church filtering society all over society and we gather on Sundays, but the church is Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We are the church. Tell the person beside you, you are the church. Go ahead, you are the church. And I believe that one of the primary responsibilities of us as the church, the called out ones, that's what ecclesia means. The word in the New Testament is called church, ecclesia, called out ones. We are called out to who? To a purpose. I believe that everybody in this auditorium has a calling upon their lives. Everybody. I believe that we are called first to Jesus. And then Jesus sends us out with a mission and a specific purpose to our life. But you're called to the lordship of Jesus and then you're sent out by Jesus. And in order to do so, you need to keep your faith red hot. And so I want to show you what the early church did, the church of Antioch did to keep their faith red hot or evidence of their faith being red hot. I'm going to read in Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 2 through verse 5. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was there with them as their helper. To give you a little bit of background of this church, this is the church of Antioch. 
When the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 that were gathered together, Jesus died. You know the history a little bit, but for those of you that are just getting familiar with the history of Scripture, let me just rewind this a little bit. Jesus selected 12 disciples in his three years that he had here on earth, and he had a larger group of 70, and then he ministered to the multitudes. When Jesus died on the cross, he had a gathering of 12 apostles, but there was an inner core of about 120. Jesus st spoke to those people that had gathered together, and he told them, I'm going to leave but you need to be baptized with power so that you can take this message that I have throughout all the world. Jesus ascended into heaven after his death, burial, and resurrection, and the disciples gathered together 120. 120 is not a big crowd. The average church in America has about 80 people, so it's around the average, a little bit bigger than the average sized church in America, 120 people. They gathered together and they began to pray. One day as they were praying on the day of Pentecost, which was a, a feast, there was a sound from heaven and what, what Jesus had predicted happened to them. Fire from heaven came down upon them. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. They all spoke in other languages that they did not understand proclaiming the word of God. And it is there that theologians tell us the church was birthed. That was the first church with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And as the church was filled with the Holy Spirit, they, they scattered into the streets and they began to share with everybody in the streets in the languages that God was given them. And that day, Peter got up and presented the message of the gospel. And he spoke the message of the gospel and he said, repent, believe, and be baptized, every, every single one of you, and you will receive forgiveness of sins and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that day, 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ. Imagine a church of 120 suddenly growing to 3,120. And they were all baptized. I think the most people that I baptized at one time was maybe close to 40. I can't imagine baptizing 3,000. I think after a while, I'd be, hey, can you dunk yourself, man? I'm tired. <laughs> I think I'd start sprinkling after a while. Just 3,000. The church grew to 3,120. These people gathered together, and they gathered in Jerusalem. There was no First Baptist, Second Baptist, no Methodist church, no Catholic church, no Assembly of God church, no Pentecostal church. There was only one church, the Church of Jerusalem. The church was several thousand almost from day one as it grew. And some scholars believe that the church reached upwards of maybe 20,000 people in a city that only had about 120,000 people in population. So think about that, 20,000 people, the biggest church in town, gathered together, but there was a problem. The problem was that Jesus had said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, but the church refused to. They got comfortable in their largeness. And so God did what sometimes he has to do. Sometimes if we don't move on our own, God has to make it uncomfortable so we move. 
Sometimes if you don't want to do what God wants you to do, he'll push you out of your area of comfort and, and, and push you to obedience. God allowed persecution to, uh, to come to the church. There was such a severe persecution that Christians were put in jail. Christians were being persecuted. And so the church scattered to a bunch of towns around the area running from their life and wherever they went they brought the gospel and this is how the church of Antioch was formed because they started meeting in Antioch gathered together the Gentiles as the church spread I want you to remember that the church is a movement God doesn't just want you comfortable God wants you making disciples using your gifts making changes that's how God operates and moves. And this church remained hot, with red hot faith. And here's three things that this church did. Number one, I want you to notice while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, What were they doing? Worshiping and fasting. Now, let me tell you something about the habit, and I want you to write the first habit down. Engaging in intense seasons of missional fasting and prayer keeps our heart red hot. Let me tell you something about what these people were doing. You see, what fasting and prayer is, it's setting aside time to hear the voice of God. I was in Spain recently and I had the opportunity of speaking uh, at this gathering and I was preaching in Spanish and afterwards I was praying for a lot of people that came forward to be prayed for. I left the meeting place and I was still talking to some people and praying for some people even on the sidewalk and I was trying to get away because I had somewhere where I had to go and a young man came up to me and he said, Pastor, Pastor, and they were saying, come on, we got to go. And I said, okay. He said, Pastor, Pastor, pray for me. I said, what do you need prayer for? And he said, I need you to pray for me because God never speaks to me. I never hear God. I've never heard the voice of God. He never speaks to my heart. Would you pray for me that God would speak to me? I looked at him and I said, are you a believer? Yes. You've given your life to Christ? Yes. I said, let me tell you this then. I'm not going to pray that God would speak to you because God is already speaking to you. I'm going to pray that you have the ability to hear what God is saying, not that God would speak to you. And then I told him this, listen, I'm a father. I have three children. I can't conceive of my children while they live at home and I go in and out of the house throughout the day that I would not say one single word to them. I can't conceive of my children that I wouldn't talk with them, say hello, pray for them at night, interact with them, not say one word to them because I'm their father and I want to speak to their life. There are times when I'm speaking to my children and they can't hear what I'm saying even though I'm speaking to them. Like once in a while, I'll call up to one of my kids, it's dinner time, and I'll say, hey, mom says the food is ready. Come on down. Silence. Dinner time. Come on. Mom says the food is ready. No response. I don't know if anybody else does this, but a wall is a great place to, so you just knock on the wall like this. 
And then invariably, a kid will pop out of there with his headphones and say, hey, dad, were you trying to get a hold of me? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I couldn't hear you. I had my headphones on. Uh Uh-huh. But see, the issue is not that I wasn't speaking. The issue was that although I was speaking, they weren't hearing me because they had other noises in their head, in their ears. My voice was going out. There was something blocking their ability to hear me. Other noise in their ears, even though I was speaking. And it's the same in our life as well. If you are a believer today, I want you to know that God, your Father, who loves you, who created you, who made you, who has known you since before you were born, who knows more about you than you know about you, who cares more about you than you care about you, that God, infinite God of the universe, He is continually speaking into your life and soul. And if you do not hear the voice of God, it's not because God is not speaking to you. It's because there is something blocking your ability to hear God. It may be your own mind, unforgiveness, your own busyness. And maybe it's the fact that you're not stopping to listen to God. When you fast and pray and worship, there's something that happens as we worship and pray and fast that gives us the ability to listen to God in a fresh new way. Hearing God in a fresh new way. That's Pastor Mark Job on Moody Presents. We're looking at habits you and I need to form so we can keep our faith red hot. You can hear today's message again at our website, moodypresents.org, moodypresents.org. Next time, two more habits we need to develop as we seek to build this red-hot faith. Join us then for Mark Job on Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.